Now, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce today's very special guests, Andy Byford and Eugene Jones, Jr., two relatively new Torontonians who head two of our city's largest and most important public services. The Toronto Transit Commission's riders have very high expectations, as we all know, for service delivery on the many routes that travel through the neighbourhoods that comprise Toronto. And Toronto Community Housing has a mandate to provide safe and reliable housing, whether in apartments, townhouses or detached homes, to more than 160,000 Torontonians. These two public services, of course, are not without their challenges, including constant strains on purse strings and a growing and demanding client base. And we too, we here in Toronto are very fortunate to have attracted two leaders with world-class international experience to take on these challenges and the opportunities they present for our city. Mr. Byford started at the TTC in the newly created position of Chief Operating Officer of the Operations Branch in November 2011 before being promoted into the CEO role in March of 2012. Of course, long-term planning and customer services, customer service are very big parts of his responsibility. Mr. Byford arrived in Toronto from Sydney, Australia, where he was the Chief Operating Officer for the Rail Corporation of New South Wales. He has worked with rail operators in the United Kingdom, including at the London Underground, where he was a general manager. Mr. Jones joined the Toronto Community, joined Toronto Community Housing as the President and Chief Executive Officer last June, June of 2012. So I suppose we should start by saying happy anniversary. Uh, Mr. Jones holds bachelor's and master's degrees in business administration and is a seasoned executive with more than 30 years of experience in housing, real estate development, finance and transportation. Before coming to Toronto, he was the executive director of the Detroit Housing Commission. He's also held senior posts with public housing agencies in Indianapolis, Kansas City and San Francisco. Today, Mr. Byford and Mr. Jones are joined in conversation with one of our city's most respected columnists, Royce and James of the Toronto Star. Gentlemen, welcome, and the Canadian Club podium is yours. Good afternoon. Welcome, Eugene. Welcome, Andy. Good to see you. Um, you know, I've been watching this city for over 40 years. I arrived here in 1969. And uh, you two gentlemen, you are, you're celebrating just about one year on the job. Um, <laughs> exactly. So in, in watching something for 40 odd years, you miss a lot of things. You get used to seeing the same old, same old. Let's start off by you telling us your impressions of the city in terms of your jurisdiction, right, and, and, and your job. What things have you seen and noticed coming here with fresh eyes that maybe we just miss? Okay, well, if I might go first. Um, uh, first up, I mean, it's great to be here. Tro uh, Toronto and Canada weren't new to me in that my wife's Canadian. She's from Ottawa, so I sort of knew what to expect. Um, but I have to say it has been um, a bigger challenge than I was expecting. So um, really like living in Canada. I love the fact that in this country, unlike Australia, you can just jump into a lake or a river and not worry about being eaten, um, which, uh, is, which is a pleasant surprise. But um, I'm not sure about the politics in uh, Toronto, though. That might be a little 
little more vicious than perhaps Sydney was. And the, lake, and the lakes and the rivers aren't nearly as nice as Sydney, right? Well, there you go. Exactly. Well, no, the Canada's great. So, um, but no, it's been, I did my due diligence when I was living in Sydney and I was toying, should I, come, should I take up the TTC challenge or not? Um, you know, obviously you do a bit of due diligence, you figure out what, the, what you expect the, uh, the, the challenge to be. And I could see a fantastic um, organization, a very historic organization that basically did, a, did an underlying job and did it very well, moved the masses, but that there was huge opportunity for improvement. So um, I came here with my eyes open. I think though, in, it's only when you arrive in a city and you really get into the, um, the actual detail of the challenge and you figure out what needs to be done. I think it was at that point I did realize that this was somewhat bigger than I was expecting and certainly uh, a lot more politically and media driven than I'd ever experienced in my career. Mm. But it's great. I love it. It's fantastic. That first month, um, I really missed Australia but I am so glad I made the change. Interesting. That's good. Uh, Eugene, we're going um, to come back for, for some specific uh, things that you have noticed sure. right, right, right away just with your fresh eyes. But Eugene, go ahead. Very honored to be here. Thank you, especially my colleague here. I had a different a uh, view of Toronto. I, I love this city, a great city compared to where I came from, that was Detroit, Michigan. Uh, when I first uh, had the opportunity to come out here, I'm driving down the road and I get to Hamilton. I said, wow, Toronto looks beautiful. <laughs> and I'm still driving. I said, no, the garment says you're not in Toronto. I said, so I kept on driving, driving. So I get to Mississauga. I said, wow, Toronto is beautiful. <laughs> still didn't get there. So when I finally got to the outskirts of Toronto, I said, wow, this is, this is just beautiful. Um, just loved it. Um, I, I love the organization which I belong to. It was just great. It was just a great feeling. Uh, the ethnicity of all the people here, the opportunities, trans and so forth. The funny thing is that when I first got here, I got on TTC. And I'm going down the, sta the stairs and I said, wow, they got concession stands here. And then I get on the train and say, wow, you can drink and eat. In the United States, you can't do that. You, you ride on BART in San Francisco, you can't eat. Still dirty. You ride in Chicago, Metro, in, in D.C., you go in there, they're still dirty. They're not even eating. I'm looking at here, they have concessions, they're eating and so forth, and the train is clean. I said, who's complaining? I said, this is great. <laughs> He's a great <laughs> So I was going to be his spokesperson for a TTC. And I'll expect the same with uh, Andy. Uh, but uh, maybe, maybe Andy can tell us about housing in Toronto. Right? <laughs> I've invited him to come over, but it's, it's a great city. I, you know, if you haven't been around the world and so forth, you, you just sit there and you should just take pause because this is a great city to live in. It's safe, it's decent, it's clean. I've been to numbers of neighborhoods in this city, in my uh, social housing and so forth. I've seen some real good stuff. I've seen, yes, I've seen some bad stuff. But overall, this, this city has problems. It's just so big. You build height and density. In the United States, we build sprawl. And so that was the biggest difference when coming into Toronto. I said, wow. How do they do it? Who, who puts all this money up and so forth? I was just, app just appalled. And families living in high rises, that just doesn't happen in the United States anymore. They've just done away with it. But you guys have found a way to, to do that. And um, I'm just proud to be here, especially being an American with this wonderful accent that I have. <laughs> so now we know why these two gentlemen got the jobs that they got, right? You, know, you, you get a chance to uh, tell us some of the bad things about the city, and all they can tell us is good things. What did you see in the TTC once you got here and you started writing the system and started looking at the systems that operated? Okay, so I think my immediate um, 
reaction when I got here. I mean, uh, you know, great company, some great, great staff. The staff are absolutely fantastic. But to me, there were so many basic things that needed to be addressed, things that didn't require a huge influx of cash, cash but things that could immediately be addressed, what I thought really by better management, by more focused management. So um, I felt when I arrived that there was a, a slight, if not maybe an air of resignation was is putting it too strongly, but there was a bit of a siege mentality amongst the staff who um, felt, this was my observation, that they were somewhat caught in a pincer between a very hostile public. This was the height of the sleeping collector and all the other controversies that had gone on. Um, so a hostile public, people out there every, everywhere with cameras, uh, and an unsupportive management or you know, a management that perhaps was focused on other things. Um, and I really felt that there were just things that we could do immediately to show the customers a difference and to show that we could, um, that we meant business. And that didn't require me to go uh, knocking on the door of City Hall because at the end of the day, I felt it just required a bit of a more focused approach. So classic examples would be, um, it was a nonsense that you couldn't buy a MetroPass with a debit or credit card, only, I think only at six locations, so we fixed that. It was a scandalous that garbage went up and down on the subway all day. And I asked questions about that when I first got here, that you know, there were trains with uh, that morning's garbage on in the evening peak. And you, you, you see it happen once, and you think, oh, that train's been missed. But then you realize it's every train is like that. So why is that? Ah, because we only litter pick in the, at night. Well, why is that? So that got fixed. Um, the washrooms were, were a disgrace, to be honest, and our customers told us that. So um, a lot of what we did was just by um, challenging mediocrity. And I said to my team that um, we are not going to accept second best. So so uh, I don't want to hear why we can't do things. I want to hear why we can. Um, and uh, if we just organize ourselves in a more customer-led fashion, things like um, getting the cleaners to uh, come off the depot in nights and to, to do litter picking in the day, such a simple thing didn't require a load of dollars. So even before we started on a wider agenda that does require more funds, which surely, uh, I'm sure we'll come on to, it just seemed to me there, were, there was massive opportunity to improve. Terrific. Wow. Good. So, Mr. Jones, what did you see? <laughs> Andy and I had a similar uh, uh, situation when we first came in here. I just saw a staff that were beaten down by the media. They could never do anything right. They couldn't lease up units. They were evicting people. It was just a whole just gamut. You know, the shooting's here, shooting's there, and, and being responsible. And so trying to get the staff to say, hey, look, um, we're going to do this a little bit differently. Uh, when I first got here, none of the staff had any phone numbers posted on the website, so none of our residents, none of the general public could get in touch with anyone, especially myself, at uh, TCAC. And so we changed that immediately. And then I said, we're going to have monthly staff meetings, excuse me, quarterly staff meetings. The staff looked at me like I had three heads and said, well, why are you so surprised? And so I'm looking at myself saying, I'm acting surprised. Why are you so surprised that I want to do something like that, that we need to meet, we need to engage, we need to find out what's going on? I have my executive leadership team mirror my frontline staff. You go out there and see what they're doing and see how hard of a job that they're having so that you can come back here and get away from, the, from behind the desk and see what the staff is working with. Talk to the residents. Make sure that you understand what's going on because there's always two sides of the story. If you sit behind the desk and you only hear your staff side of the story and you don't get out there and talk to the residents, you're just doing a disservice to the residents. So I wanted to get back to Social Housing 101. How do we provide social housing the best that we can, be the landlord excellence, get the staff on board, and quit telling the staff that we have no money? We have money. It's how we dispense and how we put a strategy together to put that money out there. Because it's the little things. You get those calls every day, and I'm sure Andy does too. Someone calls you up and says, hey, could you do this? You go ahead and do it. They call back and says, gosh, you're so wonderful. 
You're so wonderful. Those are the things that mean mean a lot to me when those residents, those one residents call me and say, Gene, thank you for doing something. Or they send a message to the board of directors and so forth. It's not always uh, pretty and, and, and it's not going to be. If I'm not trying to run a perfect agency, I'm trying to run a better corporation that's representative of, of the community in this great city in which we serve. Okay, so if we have money, Mr. Jones, why do we have this long waiting list? 10 years? Why do we have people waiting for years to get onto housing? And why do we have, uh, what, a backlog, a repair backlog of, what, seven, six hundred million dollars? Good question. One of the reasons why we don't have, we have a long, wait, long waiting list is because we need a more affordable housing in this, in this city. Now, I can sit here and say, Royston, I want to build another 5,000 affordable housing, RGI units and so forth. But I need the city of Toronto to provide subsidy for that because I can't I can't afford it if I don't do something like that. That will alleviate some of the, 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 uh, 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 the enormous amount of people on the waiting list. But there's 80,000, close to 90,000 people on the waiting list. So that tells you um, uh, what the need is. And then there's probably a lot of people who won't put their names on the waiting list because it takes so long. I mean, we're talking about 10 to 15 years. I can put my name on the waiting list right now, and I probably won't get housing until I'm 68. I'm 58 right now. So I got to wait that long. That's how long it takes because everyone stays in social housing. We have to admit that this is housing that is sort of like affordable, but there's nothing on it also on the market that they can afford. And so that's why they stay there. We have a capital backlog because most of our buildings are 40 years old. And you have to understand between social housing and public in, in the private sectors that our residents wear those buildings down every day. They ride the elevators all day. They come down the elevators all day. They stay in the units most of the time. And I'm saying that most of them are not working, but those who are not working, they use that unit day in and day out, and it's just wear and tear. The boilers go out. The elevators go out. It's just, it's just a, a numerous of things. So when they turned it over and brought it on the TCAC, the funding was not appropriate, and so we're always trying to play catch-up. And we, I think we got a, a good plan that we're going to try to, to reduce that capital backlog when it comes to revitalization, doing substantial rehabilitation, and working with the private sector to provide more revitalization in our communities in, in this great city. Okay. We are going to open this up to uh, all you out there for your questions. Um, I, before we do that, I just want to get maybe a sense um, of what your vision is for public transit and for public housing. Well, and it's very timely, Royson, because only last week we launched our inaugural five-year corporate plan. And just to pick up something that Eugene just said, um, one, one thing that was another phenomenon at the TTC was there was really no uh, culture of accountability. There was a, a sense that you got that everyone would do the right thing because everyone had been there a long time. And by and large, that sort of worked uh, in that people would get things done. But I'm, I'm much... Uh, the way I manage is to hold people accountable. I like to know what, what's happening. Now, the reason that's relevant is there wasn't a corporate plan, which I, I found quite remarkable, actually. So we've spent a lot of time over the last six months putting together a comprehensive plan, which is a vision for what the TTC will look like in five years' time. Well, I was painting a picture for Torontonians, for stakeholders, for media, um, and ultimately for the staff on what we are going to achieve. So 
Over those five years, we will roll out Presto, the new smart card. We will open the Spadina extension up to York Region in 2016. We're going to um, open the Union second platform. We are going to introduce 204 new streetcars that are slightly longer than five years. We'll roll out the rest of the rockets. We'll introduce automatic train control. Um, but fundamentally, we're also going to change the culture of the TTC top to bottom. Um, as, and that's as much as changing the management culture as it is about changing the staff culture. So that ultimately, you guys, the people that pay our wages, uh, the people that pay taxes, you're the, you're the, um, you're the customers here. Uh, I want you to feel uh, valued as a customer. So. Um, the look and feel of the TTC, if we were to do nothing else in, in terms of expansion, I will have failed if we do not, if you do not feel that you're valued and that you're proud of the TTC after five years. Now, of course, it's bigger than that because, and this is what was a compelling reason for coming here, what a great time to be in Toronto where everyone's talking about expansion. In addition to all those things, all those things that are within our gift, we will also um, see over the next few years LRTs opening on Finch Shepherd uh, and the SRT and also the Crosstown. So, um, you know, in the same way that the city is a sea of cranes, this city, whatever happens, will look fundamentally different in terms of its transit challenge, and not before time, because, of course, the one other challenge that's on the horizon we've got to get right is the Pan Am Games. So um, all the more reason for me to focus my team absolutely around a five-year plan. We've briefed 2,000 of 12,500 staff already. Uh, the remaining 10,000 will be grueling, will be uh, briefed on this uh, plan over the next uh, coming months. Okay, quickly, Eugene. Um, Andy's beat me out by two or three weeks. We're going to present our strategic plan to our board, a five-year plan of what we're going to be doing at TCAC. I think it's very important about accountability. What we say we're going to do, we're going to do. We're not going to make any promises that we cannot keep. And we got the support, the support of our residents and also our staff in this endeavor. I think that what we're going to do, we're going to continue revitalization. We're doing Regent Park. Alexandria Park, which are two developments downtown, we're getting ready to uh, make that a little bit better. Lawrence Heights is the next uh, big development that we're going through, and we're going to look at our whole portfolio to see what opportunities that we have based on um, um, location, location, location. We are not the old TCAC anymore. We're, we're not that. People are going to be accountable. People are going to, they're going to be proud to come to the office, not sit there and say, well, gosh, I got to come to work tomorrow. Ooh, wow, what am I going to do and what can I get away with? No, we want to come, we want to represent, we want to be accountable. Whatever dollars we're spending, that we're transparent all the time. And that's what we want to stay, is we want to be transparent. Ask me any questions, you may not like what I respond to, but I'm going to tell you honestly how I feel and how I want this agency to work from the top to the bottom, just like Andy. We're out there, we're listening. I've attended his uh, town hall meetings. He's coming to attend my town hall meetings. We don't have to do that. But we do support each other, and we know we're all in this together. We're doing the same thing, hopefully the same way, and that we get the respect that, hey, we have not complained about the, the totality of all the work that we have to do. We just do. When we sign on the dotted line, we made an oath, we made a commitment to the city of Toronto, to our staff and to our residents and our population of clientele, that we're going to do the best that we can. Absolutely. Okay. If you have a question, just indicate, and uh, somebody will come to you. All right. Right here. Ryson, thank you. Uh, terrific discussion thus far. Um, Mr. Jones, Mr. Byford, I'd be interested in your thoughts, both having come to Toronto from outside the country, of ways that we can get our federal government engaged in these important issues. Both the transit system and the housing system can't be done just on the city property tax. We need help from the federal government. What examples do you see of other jurisdictions around the world 
Rysam, you've written about this extensively, to try to engage a reluctant federal government to, re to engage reluctant city council in some way, here in Toronto even, and the reluctant opposition parties at Queen's Park. We have three challenges to get the money you need to get the affordable housing built, to get the transit built. What's the next step? How do we move Great. that agenda? Great question. Well, I'll go first. Go ahead. Okay. Um, well, uh, it's an excellent question, and, and one of the reasons for having this corporate plan is I, I really need to have the company running smoothly behind me with my sort of chief officers, so that I can do what I should be doing, which is elevate my focus to be more strategic. And absolutely, be going down to City Hall, be going to Queen's Park to bang on the on the table of the uh, MPPs, and ultimately getting on a train, not a plane, a train to Ottawa uh, to talk to the Feds. And um, I think really the critical element is we've got to have a national transit policy. That's something that I've been talking to CUDA about, the Canadian Urban Transit Association. So have a national transit policy that makes compelling sense to politicians. And the reason I say makes compelling sense is if we can um, create that link between a well-functioning transit system and a booming economy and all that that brings in terms of jobs and uh, uh, national prosperity, then it's kind of a no-brainer. Um, so uh, I think there's a way to go, though, on, on making that link. You know, the, the, the Board of Trade has said it costs $6 billion annually to have all this congestion in Toronto. So um, I can latch on to that. Um, final point. Uh, it's very difficult to manage a $1.5 billion enterprise, and that's just operating expenditure, when year on year, and, I'm, and I know Gene faces the same uh, challenge, year on year, and up until the last couple of months, you have no idea what your subsidy is going to be, and you have no idea even what your income in the form of fares is going to be. Um, now, you know, I'll live with that for the time being, but we could be so much better and so much more efficient if, um, if my execs and I could plan with confidence on a longer-term basis. So uh, I'm going to keep banging that table. It's about affordable, sustainable funding. We're not giving up either. Uh, this country does not, have, does not have a national housing policy. And so my colleagues in this great country, we've gotten together, and we're going to sit down and write a national housing policy. Now, we're going to take it to whomever's going to sponsor it, but we're not going to give up. At least we've said we've got together, and the masses of this, of this country has written something that I think it, it, it's indicative of the situation which we're in. We need more affordable housing. We need a capital uh, infusion to get us right and so that we can provide those better services uh, in this country. I think uh, it's just been well overdue, and I don't think they're, 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 they're not trying to do it. I think the problem is that no one has presented something that's viable that they can understand that we all support it, not just one or two, but all my colleagues in this country that we come together, we go to Ottawa, we, we talk, we network, we, whatever we can do to push that and also get our residents on, involved in that so they can push that envelope also because they're the, they're the best representative of the situation that we're in and we, need, we haven't used them like we should have. And so we want to keep our head to the, you know, feet to the fire. That's what we're going to do. So, uh, Howard? You just haven't done a good enough job in writing that, that uh, housing strategy, right? Because <laughs> everybody agrees that it needs to be done. And I guess what he's asking is, how do you actually convince the uh, federal government to do this? You write it and present it. You write it and present it. Hmm. Okay. Next. Andy and Eugene, uh, you'll be able to tell from my accent that I'm also an outsider, but I've been here 40 years. Um, it's great to have you here and bring in the kind of change that you've brought because you bring fresh eyes. 
And it's great to hear you talking about strategic plans, in other words, going after outcomes, not this year's budget. Um, uh, what advice do you have for other city managers who don't have the uh, privilege and pleasure of coming from somewhere else in learning about how you manage um, in a city like this? Because we, we do have some things we have to change. So what advice would you give other city managers to help create change in their departments? The, the door is always open to come to TCAC. In fact, we've been an open door with uh, cities, uh, city managers and so forth coming over to look at our best practices. One of the good things of Regent Park, uh, all walks of life in the world have come to Regent Park to see how they do it, uh, what works better, uh, how do you get the residents involved, how do you get the buy-off with the city, your biggest stakeholder. So we've been exemplary with that. We want to do a better job of it because, you know, the credibility was the issue with TCAC. Now I think we've turned that corner. So now I say, wow, I just hired a chief operating officer. She's here. Her name is Kathleen Llewellyn uh, Thomas. She's here just like Andy to alleviate some of the things I have to do so I can specifically um, look at our uh, strategic plan and so forth and keep our feet to the fire and, and also be responsive to our residents, to the, to the board directors. So the, the pearly gates are open and they have come and we have shared. Being transparent and sharing, it, this is just great for this country. And so, so to, to build upon that, um, I think also uh, we're trying to initiate much better communication between ourselves and other agencies. So TCHC, Toronto Hydro, the city, um, all, all of the various elements and ABCs, agencies, boards and commissioners of the city. Um, I think there's so much opportunity for us to have much more joined up thinking. So uh, Jean and I went out the other day, we had breakfast with Anthony Haynes of Toronto Water, uh, Hydro, sorry, and uh, Bill Blair, Blair, the chief of police. And it was such a powerful get together because we were all saying that um, actually it's incumbent upon us to get our act together to work better for the benefit of the taxpayers and the, pop and the uh, occupants of this city. Um, and I think there's more, much more we could do. It, it strikes me, and this, certainly this is, this is an issue with the TTC, you would never think sometimes that the TTC and the city were all ultimately one entity. Um, for various historic reasons, they've almost grown apart. And, you know, you get TTC staff pointing the finger at the city and the city pointing the finger at the TTC. And I'm saying in my organization, pack it in. Um, we're all one city and we're not going to have that. So we are doing a lot of work at uh, coordination between our agencies. And, and we, I think we can sort a lot of things out between us. So, yes, okay, we can bring our outside perspective to help some of our colleagues. But to be fair, you know, I look at people like Joe Penichetti, there's a hell of a lot of fantastic talent and experience within the city, so we will equally learn from them. Um, and I just think uh, it's incumbent upon us to make the whole machine work more effectively. So think about this. Yeah, the Chief of Police, Toronto Hydro, TTC and TCAC all sitting together in a restaurant. Now, how, how powerful does that look? We're trying to all work together and trying to make this city even better. And so for us to work at that level and to, um, you know, cross, um, understand what we're doing. The funny thing about that, we were thinking about, now, who could be the best undercover boss? Bill Blair couldn't be no one's undercover boss because everyone knows what he looks like and how tall he is. But we were just thinking about, you know, we want to learn about each other's uh, responsibilities so we can better understand what we have to deal with when it comes to the city, with, with the city manager, with, with, the, with the city, the city as a whole. How can we do better? And, and I think that's going to be a powerful message in the city of Toronto that we are working together. It also sets a really good example to our staff. Yeah, the frustration is that while you guys are meeting in, in the restaurant, 
you have the federal government sending uh, snippy letters to the provincial government, and they're not talking to the city government, and they're all talking about a particular file that all of us are interested in, and we, are, we all are saying, let's get together on it. And I, I don't know how you gentlemen function in that type of system. Well, there's two, it seems to me, there's two ways of reacting to that. You can say, oh, we're impotent, that's not, it's out of our hands, there's nothing we can do about it. Or you can um, influence that behind the scenes and, and draw up the kind of national policies we've been talking about. But in the meantime, absolutely drive forward what you can influence, which is getting our own agencies in order and getting that into working, uh, going as uh, Jean's just described. Okay, here's another, over here. Thank you. Well, coordination uh, among the agencies is important. I think you also have to consider in terms of new planning around new infrastructure where obviously we have a huge deficit in that, in that area. We have to consider integration. For example, if you're going to build new urban transit, we have to consider where the housing is going to be, where it should end up. Uh, built along those transit lines, and we have to look at employment, and we have to look at all of those other considerations. So, uh, you know, my question is, are you integrating in terms of the planning, the essential planning that, that needs to be done to go forward between housing and transit and even employment? These are all key areas that when you build transit, it's very, very important to have those considerations. Absolutely. The other thing I wanted to say is, with respect to the federal government, there is a fiscal gap. And that fiscal gap is accruing as a result of the equalization formula that we have in place in this country. We, if we don't address that, we're never going to get to address the deficit that exists in infrastructure, particularly in Ontario. It, it continues to grow. That gap is about $20 billion each and every year. And Ontario is shortchanged, has been for many, many years. And imagine what we could do with that $20 billion a year in funding that doesn't come from Ottawa. That's where the gap exists in terms of infrastructure. Hmm. Two, two huge questions. One, one is a planning question, really. <laughs> Are we building the... Well. Uh, if the housing I might, where the transit is. Sure, right? so if I might just respond to that. I mean, um, I happened to be going along the Gardner the other day, and what is, is stunning is just you look at that vista and the sea of cranes. It's, it, this place is a boom town. You know, what a fantastic, exciting city to live. But, so it excites me as a citizen, but it scares me as a transit provider mm -hmm. because I look at how the hell am I going to shift all these people? You know, I happen to be at BMO Field on Saturday, and you get down at Liberty Village, and there's all these beautiful new condos going up, and the King Car is already completely overloaded. So we are adding capacity, but I think um, one of the uh, points to your point, sir, is that um, another person, another newly uh, uh, introduced person to this city is, of course, the chief planner, Jennifer Keysmat, and she's also one of the new blood, this cadre of new blood that has come along. And increasingly, we do have to work with Jennifer. Increasingly, certainly as the transit provider, I've got to try and get ahead of the game because good transit policy is that you at least have the new transit in place when the new condo developments open. At the moment, we're playing catch-up. The waterfront is a classic example of that. Um, and we do need to do something about the waterfront. We're already discussing that uh, in terms of an LRT as part of the big move. So you can expect to see more interaction between uh, certainly my agency, city planning, and Metrolinks. There is, the, there is a behind the scenes with the city of Toronto, with the planning department. It's succinctly how we look at developments and so forth. And they keep us 
well above where we're supposed to be, looking at transit, looking at how they connect, looking at the infrastructure. So it's not an easy, it's not an easy goal for us to put any plans forward because we all have to come to the table and sit down. We have to figure this out that makes sense for the city of Toronto. And, and, and uh, Jennifer at the city planning department, we've been talking, we talk consistently, but it's always behind the scenes. No one sees that or talks about that, but we do coordinate that from behind the, 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 the city of Toronto. I have a question for both. Uh, I want to thank you both for coming to Toronto. You're both outstanding public servants. Royson, you're a great uh, moderator. Question for you, if you could advise the three levels of government, the politicians, as to what they had to do to get the private sector involved in both your areas, what advice would you give to the politicians? Trust us, that we know what we're doing, and stand behind us when we present something to you, we want to make sure that you you understand it, but you have to stand behind us. That's the only way it's going to work, uh, and it's got to be <laughs> it's got to be in the masses. I know some people may not dis may not agree with it, but they have to come together and they have to support us the best way they can. If if you're on that board, then support the board. If if even if you're not, go to your colleagues and try to get that information so that you can support us and give us uh, some of the the respect. That I think we should, we, that we are owed because of our professionalism and how we're trying to bring that back, that credibility of a, of a corporation the size of Andy and mine, that we, we're, we know what we're talking about. And that's what you hired us to do. So let us be accountable, but please, please just stand behind us so that we can get this thing going. Okay. Like Matt just said very quickly, uh, so one of our key, um, we, we, we launched sort of uh, 10 things that needed to be sorted out at the TTC some time ago, and one of them was deliver on promises, which is why, you know, we've had the uh, newfound self-confidence to introduce a customer charter that talks about delivering on promises. So I think the more we deliver on promises, the more we will become that trusted partner that Jean just mentioned. I can tell you now, we are talking to um, uh, 3P Canada about uh, the use of uh, PPP funds for bespoke infrastructure improvements. My plea to those guys would be, in addition to trust us, make it easy, please. Don't make it overly bureaucratic. You know, it's great that there's funding available. Well, don't put every hurdle in our way to try to access it. I think maybe behind that question is this thought that's out there that the private sector can build our transit system. I mean, that's, you know, we, we've heard that from the mayor. Uh, turn it over to the private sector. They'll, they'll build it. And I guess that question is saying, give us some ideas on how we can engage the private sector to the point that they will deliver what the mayor is saying, which is transit and, I would imagine, public housing. Absolutely. Well, I mean, we, I think we all agree in the room that we need more capacity. And, um, you know, I'm fairly sort of agnostic in some ways about where the money come from, comes from. What I know is that we do need to have uh, some form of downtown relief line. We do need to have uh, transit along the waterfront. Um, where that comes from, what the money's like, and to a certain extent, um, I don't mind. As long as I've got the cash, I'll build and I'll operate. Okay. So let me push that a little bit more. The... Right now, we're in a, in a big debate and discussion about funding tools. How are we going to pay for this? Um, you've been in London. You've been in Australia. Can, can you give us examples from other jurisdictions on how they pay for their transit system? People always talk about Madrid. They build 150 kilometers in 10 years. How do those jurisdictions do it, and what, what can we learn from them? 
So uh, my experience in London, London uh, has been quite a success story in recent years because where um, for years, and I worked on the London Underground for 15 years, and the Tube was in a similar position in that my counterpart would have an annual begging bowl to please, you know, we need, we need some more money, and um, you didn't know year on year what you were going to get. So uh, that was brought to a head. There is now a 10-year uh, ring-fenced, as I call it, guaranteed pot of uh, funds that have been uh, derived from a number of sources. One is a congestion charge in central London that is um, a revenue tool that is specific, specifically designed to generate uh, funds that can only be used for transit improvement. And I think that's a key point, uh, not necessarily advocating a congestion charge, but whatever we use by way of revenue tool, we have to get the public's confidence that it will only be used for defined improvements. Otherwise, people will see it as just disappearing into some general taxation uh, pot. Um, so I've certainly seen uh, that kind of thing done uh, to success. I've seen then a mixture of private funding and public funding. New South Wales, Sydney, Australia was um, mainly public funding. It was a state-owned rail corporation, but a uh, triple P uh, arrangement was used to fund a whole brand new uh, fleet of trains. So I think it's, um, it should be a mixed bag. I don't think necessarily one size fits all. I think we should be imaginative and have a look at uh, all, form all forms of funding. The two things I'm clear on are one, we need more funding and it needs to be stable, and two, uh, the, whatever additional funding is raised has to be given to or uh, allocated to defined benefits so that people know where it's going. I, I think we, we jump into these two areas, you know, the issues in the city, uh, housing and, and transit, a little bit differently. Uh, for transit, we're all engaged because mobility affects us all. You know, I take, the, I take the subway that frees up space on the road for you and your Jaguar, right? Um, but when it comes to housing, when it comes to housing, uh, we, the, the, the discussion is, is quite different. Absolutely. Because housing is almost like your portfolio is their housing, right, as opposed to ours. How, do, how, how does that affect you? And you, you feel like you're isolated. You feel like you're in a silo. And no one cares. No one, no one talks about housing. They want you to fix it, but they don't want to talk about the, what, the, what the future of, of housing uh, holds us. How can we get more affordable housing? Look at the waiting list. Look at our housing stock. Look how it's aged and so forth. Something needs to be done, but transit is on the top of everyone. Transit and healthcare. Housing is always on the last uh, bit of the totem pole when it comes to funding, sustainability, revitalization, substantial rehab. I don't know if it's just it's an understanding, they just don't you know, care. Um, I invite anyone to come see some of the units that they live in. Maybe that might be an exposure, outreach that they can see what our residents are living in. We do have great housing. We do have some bad housing. Um, and But it's just not anyone's first, second, or third priority. It's just you try to fix it, you stand over the side, beg for your money, you're not sure what kind of subsidy you're going to get for the next year. So it's just, you know, pie in the sky, and so you try to do the best that you can. But uh, until there's a national housing policy, we come together as a force uh, to reckon with and, and try to at least fund this halfway so we can at least get there. I have ways in which I can raise uh, funding like um, um, Andy can't. I can refinance my mortgages. I can sell some more homes. I can do all that. I can uh, uh, I have a piece of property on 250 Davenport that we get ready to sell about 1.4 acres of land. We're going to take whatever we get from that, and we're going to pour it into our building there. 
25 stories, 449 units. We're going to take all that money and rehab those so that we, that we reduce our capital backlog. So we got to find our own way internally. No one's coming out and say, hey, Gene, here's about $60 million, excluding Toronto Hydro way back uh, a few years ago. They're not, gonna, they're not giving uh, uh, to uh, housing. Great. Listen, with that healthy dose of reality, uh, we will end this today. Thank you, gentlemen, very much. Eugene Jones, ladies and gentlemen. And Andy Byford. We're very fortunate that they uh, chose Toronto, and I'm sure the city will be better for having you here. Thank you. My name is Gordon Rahman, and I am the president-elect of the Canadian Club of Toronto. On behalf of the club and our audience, I'd like to thank Mr. Byford and Mr. Jones for providing us with their insights on what the future holds for public services in our great city. I can't help but feel that Torontonians are excited by your vision and leadership and the ambitious plans that you have to improve and innovate services at the TTC and the TCHC. Our city's future is marked by profound change, and Torontonians are sensitive to how their tax dollars are spent. It is comforting to know that you both bring decades of successful leadership experience navigating other large-scale public service organizations. As you move forward with your respective roles, we wish the TTC and TCHC much success, and each of you a long and fulfilling tenure with your organizations. And Mr. James, thank you for your skillful facilitation of a rich and engaging discussion. Thank you all for joining us today. I would now like to turn the podium back to our president, Alison Lote. Uh, the Canadian Club runs like the school year, so I have about three weeks left of that wonderful title until I relinquish it to Gord. Uh, thank you, Gord, for those very kind remarks, and uh, to Andy, Eugene, and Royson for being with us today. Um, a strong and caring city, of course, as we all know, will require that we get these and all of our public services right. Um, and so I wanted to thank all three of you, actually, for your leadership, um, for challenging mediocrity uh, every day, for being relentless, for being focused, and for showing us uh, how we can be the best we can be. So thank you all very, very much. And now this formally concludes our event and our television programming, which will be broadcast, actually is currently being broadcast on Rogers and, and will repeat again in the days to come. Um, we're very grateful to Rogers and to 680 News for their continuing coverage of Canadian Club events. You can learn more about the club and our upcoming events by visiting us at canadianclub.org. We hope to see you again soon. Thank you all again for coming, and today our meeting is formally adjourned. Have a wonderful afternoon.